Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. The Great Commission, the salvation of souls, that's our main objective. Secondly, who is our enemy? Who is the real enemy that we're, we're combating with? And Revela- if you read Revelation, it makes it really, really clear. It's Joe Biden. Just kidding. I'm so glad you laughed at that. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you weren't like, he's serious. I think he's serious. No, it's not Joe Biden. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. And we'll have it up here on the screen. It says, put on the whole armor of God. That you, be able, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Not flesh and blood, but evil in spiritual places. That's the enemy. That's who we fight against. He's saying the real battle is not against another physical person. And you're like, oh yeah, it is. And I'm going to show them who's boss. You know, I'm going to get, you know. No, it's not. Tragically, people stray so far from God's will that they become instruments of the devil. And the the manifestation of the spiritual forces of evil take place in physical bodies of people who are given over to those things. And tragically, they can get in the way. And sometimes the battle ends up coming against them and that flesh and blood. For instance, if you're in law enforcement, if God has called you to some form of law enforcement to bear arms, which I believe God has called some to do that, your job is to uphold the line and protect the innocent and protect those who cannot defend themselves from people who are seeking to do evil things. And you may be put in the position, the difficult position as law enforcement, as military, to have to fight against flesh and blood. But you're ultimately fighting against evil. And that's a hard, hard thing and that you should not engage with unless you know and you're confident that God has called you to bear that sword because you don't bear it in vain. So that is a tragic aspect of it. But ultimately, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We should not automatically think the enemy is some people group, is some other country. It's not flesh and blood that we wrestle against. The real battle is fought against the schemes of the devil. The demonic ideologies and forces in spiritual places that inspire those ideologies. Idolatry in the New Testament. When someone would worship an idol, Paul says it wasn't really a thing. There's no such thing as that God that they're worshiping. But he said there's a demon behind every idol. There is some kind of demonic force that inspires that idolatry, that ideology and that idolatry. And that's that's what we fight against. You see, something you should understand about Satan's agenda, okay? His agenda, his goal is to disrupt the Lord's objective, which is what? Which is the commission, to save souls, the reason we're still waiting. 
That's Satan's agenda. It's not to scare you with noises down the hall. It's not to make nail scratch marks down your hallway and and freak you out. His agenda is to distract from God's objective. We see this through Genesis. We've, We've been seeing this as we've made our way through Genesis the Messiah was promised to come through the, through the Jewish nation. And numerous times, Satan tries to destroy the Jewish nation. In Egypt. In Persia. Even after the Messiah has come in, in Nazi Germany, he tries to destroy the Jewish people. Because if he can destroy them, he can thwart the plans of God. But no one can thwart the plans of God. He comes against us today. What is God's plan today? God's salvation is the work of Christ. In fact, when the Messiah actually came in the flesh, I think Satan's head was spinning. He's like, really? This is interesting that Jesus would be walking the The Son of God is here in flesh. He's a vulnerable man. And guess what he did? He got involved. He entered into Judas to betray Jesus. You know he inspired the violence that came against Christ through the religious leaders, through the Roman officials, Satan thought he had his way with Christ. He thought he was coming against the will of God because there was Jesus. There was the Son of God Himself. And if I could kill Him, but it backfired on Him severely because that was the plan of salvation for mankind. Uh, and he's, he's regretted, ever, regretted it ever since. But since that day, God's plan of salvation now in the New Covenant is the Gospel message. We now carry the gospel message of the work of Christ. So what do you think Satan's goal is today? It's to distract people from the gospel message. It's to, it's to interject ideologies that are contrary to the word of God, contrary to the gospel itself. Interject other things in your life that will distract you from spiritual things altogether. That's, that's really the battle that we fight. That is, that is the playground the battleground, rather, of Satan is ideologies, is thoughts. Uh, we talked a few weeks ago about how certain ideologies are very pervasive right now in our culture. Again, abortion is very pervasive, pro-choice, right? It's, very, it, 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 it's pitched with like a moral bent. It seems to be like, you know, if you really care about people, you'll allow them to have abortions on demand. Um, we talked about um, like the climate control, which again, say what you will about it, but if you look at where the uh, major thinkers behind climate control lead, they're leading society in a direction that is not biblical or godly. Uh, socialism leads in a direction that God does not desire or mandate for mankind. Now, it's, tragically, we know everything's going in that direction, but not because God wants it to, not because it's healthy. In fact, it's very unhealthy. But these are the ideologies that are very pervasive today. And these are the things that the enemy is using uh, in order to come against the gospel. And if you're aware of that, as a believer, it can be hard sometimes to not get upset with the people in your life that perpetuate these ideologies. It can be hard sometimes to not get upset with the people on Facebook who say all those Christians are just idiots for, you know, believing this or that about what the Bible has to say. It can be hard not to get mad at that person and think that that person is the enemy. And I want to tell you guys, in this season of division, 
divisiveness. There have been seasons where the church has had middle ground and can mediate between that party and that party. Not today. The church has been pigeonholed in one direction and we are hated. And just to be, just to be out front and open, the, the church is to the side of, the, of, of conservatism, ultimately, because that's what the Bible teaches. And those on the left hate evangelical Christianity. They really do. They hate Christians and what we stand for as believers because we believe what the Bible says. And it can be really hard when they're talking about this and expressing their views about how foolish we are to not say they're the enemy. It can be hard. But this is why Jesus said that we need to love our enemies because the enemies are not these individuals. The enemies are the ideologies themselves and these spiritual forces behind them. So Jesus says, hey, focus. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. It's not that we keep our mouths shut, right? And we don't, again, that we don't engage in the conversation and and defend the truth. That's not it. That's not what Jesus meant. And it's not that we allow ourselves to become doormats either. That's not necessarily what loving your enemy looks like. But rather, listen to this, we love our enemies, okay, by speaking the truth while keeping the salvation of their soul as our chief concern. I'll say it again. We love our enemies by speaking the truth while keeping the salvation of their soul as our chief concern. How how does that look? That means when you're doing that, when you're genuinely concerned with their soul, you will have a guard over your mouth as you share the truth. You will be able to express the truth in the context of loving them. In the context of saying, hey, I, I don't say this to win an argument. I don't say this to make you feel wrong. I don't say this because I think you're an idiot. I'm engaging in this conversation because I really care about you. You have to understand, this is, this is what I believe to be the truth. And it is the truth. And I would be remiss. I would be unloving if I didn't stand here and, and represent the truth and tell you about the love of Jesus Christ for you. It changes it really changes the dynamic of that conversation when you keep that in the forefront, when you keep the main thing the main thing. Going back to the whole plank in the eye teaching of Jesus, right? You may be able to win an argument, but if you've sacrificed your care for, this, for their soul in order to win that argument, then you've done more harm than good. If you walk away from, a, from an argument with someone who believes something different, and that they walk away feeling very unloved and uncared for by you, feeling like you'd rather them just die and go to hell, which can be the impression that Christians give sometimes, then you've lost. You may have won the argument, but you lost spiritually. Right? There's a good principle to remember. If we come to hate our physical enemies, then the spiritual enemies win. If you, if you get to the place where you hate that family member who is always criticizing you and your faith, then the enemy, the spiritual enemy has won. On the other hand, as we love our physical enemies, that's when we do the most damage to our spiritual enemy. If you're able to get into a conversation with an atheist on the street, if you ever go out with us with one of our street teams, 
and you're able to maintain a conversation representing Christ and maintaining a love for that atheist to where when they walk away, they might think you're stupid or crazy, but they know that you don't hate them, then you've won something. You've won a battle. Because now they cannot walk away and say, those Christians are just hateful hypocrites. Because now they've met a Christian that's actually loving with, with the right agenda. That's keeping their focus. So, commission, great commission. That's our mission. That's our objective. We know who our enemy is now. We know how to fight against our enemy. Thirdly, our, physic, our plan, our strategy. What is our plan? How do we fulfill this mission? How do we fulfill the great commission? Well, if you want to do it skillfully, then I encourage you to be, become a disciple of the whole Bible. It takes a whole Bible to be a, a mature Christian. It really does. But... The plan itself, the strategy itself is, is rather simple. In fact, it's right here in the Great Commission call in Matthew 28. If you want to look there again, and we'll pull it up again. It says in verse 19, again, Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Jesus has given us a roadmap here. His direct mission is to make disciples. Like the direct command in that sentence is make disciples. However, that command is surrounded by three other verbs, three other calls to action. Go, baptize, and teach. And these are the three pillars, you could say, of, of the Great Commission, of making disciples. Now, and this could be a sermon all in and of itself, but we're just going to... We're going to blitz through and look at these briefly. First, he says, go, go out, go out into the world. He tells his disciples, these these people who already know the gospel message, they're activated now because they're saved and they know how to get saved. And they know how to communicate what it means to be saved. And he says, now you take what you're armed with, the gospel message, and go evangelize. Take it to your community. Take it to your parents if they don't know the Lord. Take it to your co-workers. Take it down the street. Take it to California. Take it across the ocean. Take it global. Go. Go. It's as simple as that. And by the way, that gospel message is very simple. And I hope you know how to articulate it very easily. But this is it. I'm going to articulate it for you, okay? God foretold that He would send a Savior who would save the world from our sins and and fix the mess that we are in. And guys, there's not a culture that is in existence that doesn't acknowledge human error and sin, that doesn't acknowledge things are messed up. God says, I'm sending a Savior who's going to fix all of that. God foretold that. And then a man came claiming to be that person. Now, a lot of people have claimed that, but this man came, he performed miracles his greatest critics could not deny. He was crucified on a Roman cross for the sins of the world according to the scriptures as foretold about him. And then to to prove it was all true, he rose from the dead three days later. And his name is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And if you believe in him, and if you put your trust in him, you will have eternal life. If you believe He is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, you will have everlasting life. 
That is the gospel message. It's as simple as that. So that first step, the Great Commission, is for those who know and believe this. They take it to those who don't know. And then the second step here is to be baptized. So he says, go, and then baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism is so significant, guys, that Jesus put it in the three commands of our, of our commission. That's how important baptism is. Now, we must, we must note that baptism is not essential for salvation. You are, you are not saved by getting baptized. You are saved by the work of Jesus Christ. The prophets and Old Testament all point to the salvation of a Savior, not of you getting dunked in some water. Okay, Salva- Baptism does not save you. Rather, baptism is a sign that you have been saved. In fact, it is the first command of Christ for a disciple. If you seek to follow Jesus, then he says, get baptized. And true disciples of Christ will get baptized in obedience to him. Maybe not right away, but you should get baptized. By the way, if you've never been baptized since giving your life to the Lord, you need to do that. It's a public declaration of saying, I am with Christ. And you could also look at it as a form of initiation in a way, as far as being introduced into the church, into the body. That is the path, the model that Jesus gave us. We kind of have you raise your hands here as a way to, in the moment, in a church service, say, I want to give my life to Christ. But that's not what the Bible teaches as far as being received into the body. Baptism is. Essentially, what he's saying is, we go out. This is the Great Commission. We go out and we share the gospel. Those who believe and receive, we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then step three, which is key, this is vital, teaching them, he says, teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. Now, I don't know if you've ever wondered, why why do we, every time we gather for church service, does there have to be some kind of teaching, sermon, Bible study? Why? What's this emphasis of, why these chairs and a pulpit and someone standing up speaking all the time, right? I don't know if you've wondered that. We didn't just come up with that out of the blue. We didn't like copy this from college campuses or talk shows, right? This is is what Jesus calls us to do, is to teach. And so teaching and learning for that matter, it's an integral part of what it means to be the church. In fact, that's what a disciple is. It's a student. A disciple is someone who learns underneath the master, underneath the rabbi. And just so you know, I am not the master. I'm called to teach here at Ignition Tucson and within Calvary Tucson, but my goal is to lead you as you seek to follow the master, Jesus. Jesus is our true teacher. Jesus is our rabbi. And we seek to follow him as disciples. So most churches, they they look like a, a place of learning. And healthy churches will be those that will teach you the, the entire Bible that will teach you through the Word, that will really equip you with the Word of God. So it's a place of learning. The third aspect of the Great Commission that we need to be a part of. We need to be learning. If we have the gift, we need to be teaching. We need to support the teaching ministries of people, right? And this step is so vital, guys, because it's the necessary step for reproduction in the church. You could have one generation just they killed it with evangelism. They went out and they went and so many people believe and they baptized all these people. 
But then they neglected teaching, solid teaching. And so the next generation was not equipped to go to the next generation. You see, what happens when teaching and discipleship take place properly, then those who are saved, these new believers coming in, in the next generation coming in, they become the evangelists as we teach them. They become the teachers and the, the, the apostles and prophets and evangelists to go out for the edification of the body and the building up of the church. So if we neglect this aspect of church, the discipleship, the teaching, as far as learners and teachers, then we can drop the ball seriously with the Great Commission. We can. And I think we've done that to a degree in America. A lot of churches have somewhat watered down the teaching of the pulpit ministry to really just be marketable. And unfortunately, what is marketable and effective in marketing and can get a lot of people, a lot of butts in the seats, is not always the same as missional. A lot of numbers in your facility doesn't necessarily mean effective fulfillment of the Great Commission. It looks like a lot is happening, but people must be taught the Word of God or that generation will drop the ball with reaching the next generation. And I think that's what's happened in America today. We have a lot of entertaining pastors, a lot of pastors who are super gifted at speaking, but a lot of congregants who are not being equipped to be teachers themselves. A lot of congregants who aren't being equipped to be able to articulate the gospel to their coworkers and friends and families. Oh, they're being entertained and excited and motivated, but they're not growing in depth as disciples of Christ. And so we have to be careful. Now, I'm not on my high horse here, like I have it all figured out, but I do recognize that as a major problem of the church in America. That we, here at Ignition, we don't want to be part of that. We want to be disciples. We want to make disciples. Amen? That is the Great Commission. Because when that happens, when the teaching is effective, the cycle continues. And we get more people in. And more people in. And you guys start to interact with more and more people. And God uses you more and more to, to, to draw people into Christ and become disciples. I'm going to close with this account in Acts chapter 2. We'll put it up here. Because... These three steps of Jesus' Great Commission are actually fulfilled right away in the church. This becomes how the church operates. Acts chapter 2, verse 40, it says, And with many other words, he, that's, G, that's Peter, he's preaching at Pentecost, he testified and exhorted them, the crowd, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So what did he do? He, they, he went. He's evangelizing. Go. Verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. They were brought into the church. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, teaching. We go, we baptize, we teach. This is the main objective. Are you a part, are you an integral part of a church that is doing this? Do you play any role in the work of the ministry? Do you support the work of the ministry financially? Do you allow your, your speech in your work environment, in your school environment, 
in your conversations on social media? Do you allow your speech to be seasoned with grace because you know you're a part of the Great Commission? We're trying to get focused tonight. We're trying to get refocused on, on, the, on the gospel message and on what we're called to do, guys. And I hope that you are, you are focused tonight. This is the Great Commission. May this be our primary focus until the day Jesus returns or we go, we go home to be with Him. And if we've lost track, guys, if you've lost track of the mission, may you refocus tonight. May you really allow God to guide you and correct some things and get your priorities right. Because I want you to be rich in heaven. Like, I want to get to heaven and know that the people that were at Ignition for this year and a half that I've taught, they got richer spiritually. They got more effective in investing in the kingdom of heaven. I want to, I want to see that for you guys. Amen? Let's all stand and let's pray. And God, we thank you, Lord, that you are patient with us, Lord God, that we don't have it all together, that we, we don't perfectly represent you 100% of the time. In fact, many times we misrepresent you. And Lord, we pray for forgiveness. We pray for your mercy. We pray that you would cover the, the ungracious words that have come out of our mouths at times. Lord, we pray that you would equip us and anoint us to be effective at making more disciples, God. That we would be focused, that we would have our aim to be furthering your kingdom in all that we do. May we be bold. Maybe, may we be courageous to engage in the issues of our day. But may we never lose sight of the love for lost souls, Jesus. And so we ask that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, that you would empower us, Father, to fulfill the Great Commission. Because we want to be rich in heaven and we want to be pleasing to you. We want to stand before you one day and, and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. And as we're in a state of prayer, if you are here tonight and maybe you realize you've been just way off and you haven't even received Jesus as your Savior. Maybe tonight as I've shared the Gospel, this was the first time you've heard it articulated and God's tugged on your heart and you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior. I invite you to do that now. I invite you to have a moment before the Lord in prayer that you ask Jesus to be your Savior personally. Don't merely acknowledge it intellectually. Make it personal. Make it relational. And ask Jesus Himself to come into your life, to forgive you of your sins, to set you on the path of His will for your life, that you would live for Him this day forward. Because He's listening to you and you can do that right this moment. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for listening. If you're hearing this and you'd like to give your life to the Lord now, I invite you to take the next step. Text the words, Ready for Jesus, to 94000, and we can follow up with you. One of our leaders will be able to contact you and get you some free resources to help you grow in the faith. We invite you to come out to our in-person services every Thursday evening at Calvary Tucson's East Campus in the coffee shop area. We meet at 6.30 p.m. for coffee, and our service starts at 7 p.m. In the meantime, keep reading, keep praying, and keep worshiping. God bless you.